you are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody. How are you guys doing? Locked On Browns, episode 137. I am your host, Jeff Floyd. Follow on the Twitter handle, at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Keep following the at Locked On Browns Twitter account, guys. Like I've said, I've made that a follow back account. It's the best way for you know you guys to get in touch with me, my own personal account. It's hectic. I get a lot of stuff there. I get a lot of followers. I follow a lot of people. I don't always get to everything, but you guys have been fantastic. I cannot appreciate the support. Uh, got a lot going on here. Uh, you know, obviously we're in full bowl swing. Uh, you know, everybody. You know, Josh Allen was the topic of the day. Um, not more than not seven, eight minutes after the bowl game was out uh, over, the reports are out. You know, Josh Allen is official, which pretty much everybody figured for the 2018 draft. Uh, we'll hear on Senior Bowl, I'm sure, you know, we might even hear probably even tonight at the rate this is going. Uh, you know, we'd like to devote at least one episode a week strictly to draft talk, which is what we can do with the Cleveland Browns when you were 0-14 and looking at number one and possibly a second top five pick in the first round. Tonight I've got one of the best. Uh, from Optimum Scouting, owner, operator, sporting news, all the work he does. Obviously, you know, works with some of the All-Star games as well. Mr. Eric Galco. Eric, how are you doing? Happy holidays, all that stuff. Are you ready for Monday? Am I ready for Monday? No, I've been uh, I've been working out of my office uh, the last two weeks, so I did some last-second Amazon shopping uh, myself the other day and uh, trying to play catch-up, man. But it's it's a fun time of year, and it's you know, bowl season is, is also what a lot of us have going on behind the scenes in the NFL draft process, too, so it's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, absolutely, you know, crazy busy time of the year. You know, God bless Mrs. Lloyd. Uh, she is a saint about this. I cannot stand shopping. And, you know, I got that from my father. But, you know, my father does not live in the era where your wife can send you 52 pictures in a text message or call you, call you 12 times from the store. Would you like to shop? So I am Christmas shopping, even though I'm sitting at home. But even what well, we're going to get moving on here. Uh, look, quarterbacks, uh, Cleveland sitting at one. Uh, they have probably one of the worst quarterback groups in the NFL. It'd be a shock if it's not going to be the picket one. And normally I wouldn't go this way, but look, Josh Allen has really been the topic of the day here. Uh, it, it's weird. The whole Josh Allen, you know, the last year long, it's been a crazy thing because, you know, I would say mid-November, it was like, look, here's a nice name of a guy we might want to look for towards the 18 draft. You know, a lot of potential. You know, he's, he's going to look good in things like the Combine and things of that nature. A pro day, he'll probably look phenomenal. And then not even three weeks later, it was a, he may be a 17 kid. He may be the best kid in 2017. Uh, give me some thoughts on Josh Allen and what exactly happened from, you know, he was a, a, you know, a nice QB prospect, a guy to follow, to the way he just, you know, I mean, it was almost like his draft talk went on steroids. Yeah, I, I think, you know, looking at last year's draft class, right, 2017, you mentioned that we kind of kind of blew up. And then towards, you know, the dra- the early entry deadline in January, um, you know, people started, you know, some, I know some people in the media put him in their first round of their mock draft. And then it was kind of building what he would declare for the draft or not. Um, and that was, uh, you know, part of it just being overhyped. Uh, a lot of NFL teams back then you know, didn't believe this guy was going to be a, a first-round pick at that point. They didn't really know, right? He's a, he was a redshirt sophomore at the time, or a redshirt, yeah, redshirt sophomore. And, you know, NFL scouts aren't really watching. They know who he is in general, but they don't have a good conceptualized idea that this guy's a draft prospect. And, you know, I spoke to Josh very, very briefly um, during the draft process a year ago and just kind of gave him, you know, we have a specialized kind of report we do. I gave him that. Um, and he made a decision based on a lot of factors. And I think he made the right choice in staying in school a year ago. And, 
you know, we've seen that a lot with quarterbacks that have a lot of hype. You see it with Sam Darnold this year too. Um, sometimes the hype is 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 too much, and when the guy stays in school with all that hype, we get you know 12 months to decide if that guy's actually good or not, or how high he's going to go. And I think that's what happened a little bit with Josh Allen. But you know, Josh Allen being a part of the draft process, like I said, for the last nine, 12 months, it's uh, it's a lot of NFL teams to get really familiar with him, and he's a great kid. He is a hardworking kid. Um, he's a very nice, genuine guy. Um, not that dissimilar in some ways to Carson Wentz as a person. And, you know, you can be mad the fact that that makes a difference. But, you know, I always say, you know, on my own podcast, it's people I talk to in person, you know, you got to stop thinking about the draft process and especially, especially quarterbacks as just what's on film. Because if you're a GM and or a head coach, when you draft a quarterback, your career is on the line. And you've got to trust this person, not only in their abilities, but also as a person. And a lot of teams, decision makers that spoke to Josh Allen briefly during last offseason and during this year, like the kid a lot. So he's got a great entry point there, and he's got the arm talent. Now, the rest of it is a big question mark, and that's why I don't think, along with a lot of NFL people I speak with, don't think he'll be a top 10, 15 pick, because a lot of question marks there. But the point is is that decision makers have gotten comfortable with him as a person, and that really helps in the draft process. Uh, and that, I, I do agree with all that. And you know, even after the bowl game, he spoke well. Um, it, it almost got to the point where, like, he was he was getting so beat up on. Like, I kind of like I, I got to the point where I felt bad for the kid because I don't think he put himself in the position where he wanted all of this. And look, you know, he if he were a kid from a power five school and a premier, you know, or an SEC kid as the redshirt sophomore, it would have been understandable. You know, I mean, that's kind of way the way it works. It was just crazy that the way it worked for a, you know, a kid playing ball at Wyoming. And look, you know, natural arm talent, you know, I, I think it's there. And I, and I do understand to the degree, as long as you're going to give it to other guys, you're going to say Josh Rosen's not playing with much. You're going to pay Lamar Jackson's not playing with so much. I get all that, but it was, seems like they, they were finding the excuses specifically for him, you know, because, I mean, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, the marking the boxes of everything off the field he does. But, I mean, the tape and the film, it's a little rough. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing I would say is, you know, first off, don't assume you know, like everyone knows what NFL teams are thinking, just because if you, and a lot of times it ends up being the same source from multiple in the media, right? The same GMs might talk to three different media members, so these three different anonymous sources might be the same person. And don't assume the NFL is stupid sometimes, right? That frustrates me because I know people in the league, People say, oh, NFL scouts are dumb sometimes. And it's like, first off, the area scouts are not making these decisions. And second off, you know, you're assuming the whole league is based off of just one or two people who might not be decision makers. But, um, but yeah, you know, it's, that, that's the most, I guess, I'd say from that perspective. Is sometimes I think people on Twitter and in the media kind of go off the rails sometimes about what this stuff actually means. And, you know, the real situation is, hey, some decision makers have made up their mind he's a good quarterback. What good means they haven't decided yet, right? He might be that good. Might be first overall. Good might be first round pick. Good might be an NFL player and a third round pick. We don't really know yet. Uh, my Cleveland fans, obviously, you know, locked on Cavs. Uh, Chris Manning does a great job with that. Make sure you give that a run. Uh, you know, always in contention. You know, team starting to build up. Isaiah Thomas is going to be uh, back soon. Please check out Chris Manning and locked on Cavs. He does a fantastic job over there, and he's got you covered with anything you need, Cavalier wise. Eric, moving on here, obviously the quarterback class, I, I, I want to hit on pretty much the offensive side of the ball because that is, you know, the biggest concern right now here in Cleveland. Uh, you know, it, it's a lot of talk, obviously, you know, Josh Rosen seems to be, you know, pretty much the darling here. Uh, I'm going to let you start with Sam Darnold. And I just, basically from this, it, 
do you think Sam Darnold is going to be in the 2018 NFL draft? No, um, I would be very. I would. I would be very surprised. I'd be surprised if he was in it. And I had heard, um, you know, since October, that uh, that he was probably not going to enter the draft. Um, you know, to be honest, I haven't really followed up with a lot of those sources about that since because it seemed pretty conclusive that he was not going to declare. And I think I tweeted out, not to mention Twitter, but I think I tweeted out uh, during that time that I think he'll be a USC Trojan or a New York Giant, um, you know, next next year, one of those two teams. And that's kind of where I thought it was going because the Giants is a hard, you know, it's hard to pass up on as a quarterback and any kind of coach or player or whatever to pass on being a New York Giant. But, um, yeah, I believe he's going to stay in school. I think it's a great decision. And I was talking to uh, Scout the other day about this. I think being the quarterback at USC – it's hard to find a better job <laughs> in the college or in the NFL. Like the debate really to me is I was talking to a scout about this. Would you rather be Sam Darnold at USC or Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco? I might choose Sam Darnold. That's how great being a USC quarterback is. And Darnold's going to be the first or second pick in whatever draft he enters. I know he'd have a great year. He's a really special kid. He's extremely smart. He's got all the tools. You can see flashes already of Carson Wentz and what he does is a, escape guy he's going to be a really good NFL quarterback um but I think you know I think I'd rather be at USC as long as I can if I was him yeah no I can truly understand that and this even though this went back before USC started their camp I mean the stories were and it seemed that he was he was going to play his 2018 season at USC and I know Ben Albright and some of these other guys and I'm not picking on Ben Ben's always been great to me like the talks came out in October that he was going to stay it always seemed he was going to stay. Like that seemed to be the talk over the summer. And you know what? God bless him. You know, if that's the route he wants to go, um, I do think he has some mechanical things he needs to work on a little bit. But you know, I think he's got the head. I think he's got the mind. Uh, I think the, uh, I believe it was the Texas game, the game-winning drive at home. You, you know, which got him to overtime. I'm sorry, game tying drive. He's got everything you're looking for. You know, you're just hoping he can maybe get that arm slot up at a little bit higher because sometimes the ball sails. And also, you know, he now it was his second year. So now he was playing teams that had already seen him. They could adjust. He was working with receivers, you know, different receivers than he worked with the year before. So, yeah, but, you know, all the best to him. I mean, and, you know, look, you stay in school as long as you think you need to. I mean, I, I just I can't preach that enough. Uh, moving across the other side to L.A., uh, Josh Rosen. And I think, you know, yesterday I think maybe wasn't the best day for him where he admitted something you know, that we had not known that he was still in a concussion protocol. And we're talking almost now a month worth of, pro, uh, you know, in the protocol because the injury would have occurred in the Cal game, which was uh, Friday, November 24th. But uh, I don't think anybody can throw the ball in this class like Josh Rosen can. But you got to wonder now if it's two, possibly three concussions already. Is that going to give you some pause or hesitation? You know, not a quarterback. Um, I think he's he's a if he's a first overall pick um, type player, which I think he is, and and I think he's been great. First off, I think he's been great this year, not only on the field, but um, he's really impressed a lot of scouts that have been through there. That you know, a lot of stuff off the field that they worried about wasn't a major thing. It was more of a a question they needed to answer. And sometimes we think of these questions as the end of the world, and sometimes it's like, hey, I've heard this and this. Let's see what this kid's all about. And he's been fantastic this year. He's uh he's really impressed teams that have gone through that, not only mentally, but as a leader in that locker room and he's, he's, you know, all the questions we had before, you can kind of erase them a little bit, which is, which is great to see. And, you know, that's why he's risen up to be a top quarterback prospect. And um, despite having a rough, rough season at UCLA, despite the concussion stuff, he's been, he's been great on the field. He's been great off the field. And, and that's why he's, he's going to be the first, you know, first quarterback taken once Sam Donald says he's staying in school. And, you know, the concussion stuff is going to be a concern. It's going to be a, a note on the, on the scouting report, but it won't affect his draft grade at all. 
Okay, and that's actually now the second time in a row that that's come up, the second person that I've talked with. So, you know, it's nothing to worry about. Look, you know, and, you know, one thing is, is, you know, maybe put on a little more better upper body weight. He does seem to be a little bit of a slim kid. But, hey, you know, at 21, we were all starving in college. Everybody's slim. You know, that will come with time. Uh, the one thing is, is, you know, the tennis background that he had, uh, you know, it's kind of like similar to the Odell Beckham with the footwork. And, you know, this just goes back, you know, play all sports when you're a kid, man. Play everything. You know, learn to compete, learn to do different things. And, you know, a lot of things that people talk with, with Josh Rosen is that the feet tie to the eyes and everything's in sync. And, you know, just a beautiful, beautiful player at the position. Yeah, uh, Baker, Jeff, on that, you mentioned that you mentioned the multiple sports stuff. It's so important. Um, and actually, it's a big deal. I always note it for people out there who are watching players and researching guys. Always note when these guys play multiple sports, especially at a high level. I remember uh, there's a kid at SMU, Trey Quinn, the receiver there. This is a kid that pitched in the Little League World Series through a no-hitter when he was a kid. Then played on a state championship baseball team, was one of the best Louisiana track stars in the 100 meter, and is the most productive receiver all time in high school. His high school and younger resume alone will get him a lot of NFL fans in the league, and and that's because you know it's it's so unique to have an athlete like that, and it's always important. Some guys, you know, a lot of guys play basketball or track, whatever else, but guys that excel in multiple sports in high school, it's really impressive, and it and it when you look at that from that lens, it can show a lot of things. You mentioned the tennis thing; it's a great point with Josh Rosen. When a guy's unique athletic ability and playing multiple sports actually shows up on film and you're almost surprised to see it, that's when it's really impressive. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it was the thing, you know, I, I was one of those kids. I mean, look, I didn't, you know, I didn't like playing. I like, play, I like competing. That's what I liked, you know. I, at the end of the day, whether you won or lost, it was, you know, that's what I found the most rewarding. And you see it. And, you know, Ryan Switzer was another one. I know down in West Virginia, I talked with his father a ton. You know, and Ryan, here's a small guy. You look at him, nah, he shouldn't be in the NFL. He was an elite athlete as a kid in everything he did. Another former soccer player. This stuff translates. And even, you know, and the reason you should do it is you may be the best kid in your neighborhood, your town, your state at one sport, but you might not be at another sport. But that's also going to work on your mental game of it. You know, what do you have to do in that other sport where you are not the best dog, you know, in the in the yard, but so to speak? You know, it, it, that's where you, you're you going to learn more from that than you're going to learn more from, you know, your Pop Warner game where you score seven touchdowns every Sunday. So that's kind of, you know, also brings the mental aspect into it. Uh, I don't think anybody's done more for their resume quarterback-wise this fall than obviously number six, you know, quarterback Oklahoma Sooners, Baker Mayfield. Uh, look, guy's really fun to watch, but he's got some things when you talk specifically NFL-wise. And look, there's still some thoughts, you know, the old school theory of, Look, the height's a little concerning, and usually when the height's a concern, the hand size is a little bit of a concern. Uh, but uh, go ahead, elaborate here a little bit on Baker. Yeah, I think he, you know, he'll be the Senior Bowl this year, which is really exciting. Um, I'm a little surprised, but I'm not, I shouldn't be surprised, I guess. But you know, we haven't seen quarterbacks like him, top quarterback prospects who also have maybe something they want to hide, um, be at the Senior Bowl. But he's there, and and I have a real feeling he's going to impress in a lot of the same ways that Russell Wilson did. And, uh, you know, for the last seven, eight years now, I've been, and I got like this advanced charting I do with the Senior Bowl. It's something too sexy, but I watch all the Senior Bowl film and kind of chart each guy and, and you know, a couple other factors come into it. But, um, you know, the best quarterbacks in the last couple of years at the at the Senior Bowl have been Jimmy Garoppolo, Kirk Cousins, and Russell Wilson. And I think Baker Mayfield, what he does and what he's shown on film he can translate really well to the Senior Bowl. First off, his arm is, is above average, um, which is not going to be a concern there. Secondly, um, his his footwork, uh, kind of underappreciated, he's got re- remarkable feet and footwork. He's able to adjust his feet quickly, play with very quiet feet at times when he needs to in the pocket, 
didn't always do that at Oklahoma. I think he can make that adjustment really quickly. He's not far away, and I've spoken with quarterback coaches about that and how impressive he is. I think third and most importantly, he's really good in finishing in the middle of the field. That's what Russell Wilson was always great at at Wisconsin, even at NC State from the pocket. When a smaller quarterback can win in the middle of the field and throw with aggressiveness and on time and with good accuracy and not miss middle field reads, that's what impresses. And Baker Mayfield maybe is better at Russell than Russell Wilson was out of college at working in the midfield and working slants and quick plays and over routes. He's great there, and he'll do great at the Senior Bowl. I think he's going to be a first-round pick. I, yeah, I, any but like when people say not first round, you know, I, I would say even worst case scenario, you're going to get a team if he even makes it to twenties. Now you're talking playoff teams, and, and somebody's going to say, "Look, he he fits everything we're looking for," and you want to know what he might not have to play day one. So I mean, I think at absolute worst, you know, twenty to twenty five range would be his absolute floor, because those teams get to the playoffs and usually consistency for a reason. And they're going to see what Baker Mayfield can do on Sundays. Lamar Jackson, this this has been, you know, this has been a crazy one here. You know, I think Josh Allen too. You know, the ebbs and flows for both of these guys. Uh, Lamar Jackson, you know, fantastic athlete. I think every year it seems that he's getting a little bit better. Um, but so go ahead here, number eight. Obviously now we're you know we're going to piggyback from the current Heisman guy to the past Heisman guy. So go ahead and, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson, number eight, Louisville. What are you thinking, Eric? I feel like the Lamar Jackson talk, and you can help me out if you agree or not, Jeff, um, feels like it's gotten almost like political between him and Josh Allen. You have to kind of be on one side. You got to hate the other person. I think the other person's great. I don't think Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson, for our grades, they probably won't, won't aren't first-round grades for us. And you can disagree on both of those or one of those, and that's fine. Lamar's a really impressive athlete, and he's been a really good thrower. This season, he has finished really well down the field. I think his footwork substantially has improved. Uh, he's using his eyes better than he ever has before in manipulating safeties. He's been really impressive there. I think he still misses a lot of easy throws. I think he rushes too many throws sometimes. I think when the offense is thrown off balance a little bit, his eyes go down. He loses a lot of um, kind of progression plays there too. And a lot of plays in the NFL are designed where if the play breaks down, Receiver's going to go a certain way, and you're going to break together. I'm not sure Lamar Jackson's shown the ability to improvise and actually be patient and create a little bit. He's gotten better at it. It's still a concern. But I think a lot of the inconsistencies he has on finishing easy throws are my biggest concern. And uh, along with, I mean, obviously the size and the build, that's going to be a small concern as well. But there's a role and there's a way for a handful of teams and offenses that Josh, or Lamar Jackson can really fit into um, as an NFL quarterback. But it's going to take those certain roles. And, and again, it's... The interview process is going to be really important Lamar Jackson. NFL teams haven't gotten as comfortable with Lamar Jackson as a guy they can trust to lead their offense, to lead the huddle, to win you know, outside the field, to win in training camp, to instill trust in his teammates. It's just a different personality, and, and that's okay, and his personality is fine, and it's great, but you know, NFL teams have seen what kind of personalities resonate with their teammates, what works, and what kind of mental makeup required to, to be an NFL quarterback day in and day out and get a lot better. I know it sounds cliche, but the more I'm around these teams, the more you see guys that don't work because they don't have this mindset. And NFL teams, again, it's not a negative. They have that question. And Lamar Jackson wants to answer those questions in the draft process. If he does, and teams are confident he can, he can learn the playbook and adjust that way to a new offense outside of Bob Petrino's offense, which has not produced a lot of great NFL quarterbacks, um, then he'll be fine. Then he'll be a first-round pick, and he'll be great. But just because there's questions right now in December doesn't mean there won't be answers and he won't be a first-round pick come May. 
you know, as the old theory goes, you know, it only takes one team. Uh, before we move along, uh, obviously, you know, this seems to be the, you know, the, the top five names mentioned. And obviously, now you were another one saying that, you know, Sam is not going to be part of this 18 party. Uh, give me another quarterback that you want to bring up here in this. Mike group. White. Mike White, Jeff. You know that. I hope you can follow me on Twitter. Mike White from Western Kentucky is my guy. Um, I'm a big fan of his game. He had a tremendous 2016 season. He'll be at the Senior Bowl despite a down 2017 year. And, you know, people use the Josh Allen, no supporting cast. Well, you know, Mike White lost Taewon Taylor, Forrest Lamp, and a handful of other players from his offense this year. Had a really disappointing year, but he's a really impressive guy. Talk about the arm strength. He's a former 90-mile-an-hour pitcher in high school. Um, you talk about the mental makeup. He's going to check all those boxes through the whole process. You know, I was hopeful that he was going to rise because I think he's a great player from 2016. Hopefully he was going to rise to being maybe a second-round pick, maybe a late first-round guy with a great year. That didn't quite happen, but I've, I'm very confident that he's going to be a player that's going to play eight, nine years in the league, and he will be a starter in the NFL at some point. And I'll say this, Jeff, a lot of NFL teams like him. Um, not as a top-two-round pick, but a lot of NFL teams would love to have him on their roster, to love to have him behind their current quarterback and see what he can do he's going to have plenty of interest come the third round of the draft but I think he's going to be maybe the third depending on who's the senior bowl after Baker Mayfield he'll be contending with Mason Rudolph to be the most impressive guy there all right so Eric's planting a flag obviously here uh running back wise uh it seems we know who the top two are here uh between Saquon and Darius uh Darius guys is any of that different from you or you know and somebody did ask you know to ask you who, after those two, you know, the, the three to five, you know, the th- ranked three, four, five, who are those running backs? But, uh, you know, the one, two, is that the consensus? Yeah. Um, Jaquan Barkley's the uh, the best running back in this class, might be the best player in this class. And, you know, he's he's a really impressive guy for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, running backs are going to go early because when they're playing like him and they can catch on the backfield, they're going to be impressive. So this is this reminds me a lot of last year when it was like a – a Leonard Fournette, Dalvin Cook. I know you were a big Dalvin Cook guy yourself, Jeff. But you know, last year was Fournette was was a really special player that people kind of forgot about a little bit, and forgot how special he was. I think. I think Squan Barkley's that guy this year. He's a truly remarkable, not only player but also a person um, that teams want to build around. Then Guys is number two. You're right, but number three is pretty open for me and for Optum Scouting. Number three is pretty clear. It's actually Ronald Jones of USC. Um, he's our clear number three guy uh, on our grading scale. The only guy after the top two that we have great as a potential first-round pick. Um, I think he's the best guy. He reminds a lot of Melvin Gordon. Um, he plays really violent when he's attacking the, the linebackers at the second level and can, can break tackles with effectiveness on the perimeter. He bounces outside a lot, but it's not without you know great timing and great patience, and he follows his blocks really well. He's a really good player. And then after him, Damian Harris, Royce Freeman, Bryce Love, um, Nick Chubb, you can kind of pick your spot there. They're all in that second, third, fourth-round range. So the Georgia two, you're taking Chubb over Sony. I do, I do. I think uh, I think Chubb's a more easy to project NFL guy. Um, I think he can be a, a, a three down player. I think he can you know be a starting run back in the NFL. I think Sony Michelle's going to be a little more of a you know one two punch in an offense, and that's fine. And I think I think sometimes uh, people kind of get too excited about the running backs in every draft class. I feel like the last four years, we've seen how good the running back class is. Um, you know, running backs have a design role in the NFL, and you got to kind of skew your rankings to that design role, right? We don't, they're not going to have – no draft class is going to have like eight-star running backs. And last year was really impressive, and we got a couple surprises. This year is not going to be as good as last year's, but it's it's got some really good players in that third and fourth round range for sure. Yeah, and the other thing is, is, you know, with the running back position, there's 
very few teams, and look, and there's very few guys that you can commit to, like a Le'Veon Bell or an Ezekiel Elliott or David Johnson, David Johnson, that you can just say, you know what, you're my guy, and you know what, I'll, I'll just have some other running backs on the roster. You know, some of these, you know, obviously a lot of these teams, a lot of these organizations like to, you know, fan it out. I've got this guy who can do this. I've got this guy who can do this. I've got this guy who can do this. And I do understand that approach because, I mean, with the running back position, you know, there's a lot of injuries. So you want to know what, if I normally like to play with three, I'm okay with playing with two. You know, so you know, that's kind of how that works. And which, you know, I can understand the, you know, the both parts of it. And, it, you know, every now and then you get a lucky, you get a David Johnson or you get a Kareem Hunt where you didn't pay a premium price, but you got a premium player. I'm going to move on now to the, the wide receiver position. And I, it just keeps seeming for me that we keep trying to chase the 14 class. Um, you know, this year, you know, I think Calvin Ridley is probably the most polished guy available. And then we have, you know, uh, some other guys coming from some other schools, not playing the exact competition, you know, the, you know, of, you know, of a guy like, you know, say Calvin Ridley of a power five schedule and what Calvin plays, you know, Cortland Sutton types, I'm sorry, Sutton types. So give me some talk here on the wide receiver class. Just overall, who do I like? Sure. Yeah, I'm a big Cortland Sutton fan. Um, he's our he's our top rated receiver from start to finish this year, and oh, okay. Uh, yeah, he's been he's been impressive. Um, I think he and and Calvin Ridley are a safe one too, and then we'll kind of uh, you know kind of go from there a little bit. I think guys to like Michael Gallup, he's a like from Colorado State, Anthony Miller yep. to like too, but. It's about figuring out where, where, how much you like these guys, right? And that's kind of what, what I always say is that a guy may be good. Is he first round good? Is he second round good? Is he third round good? I'm not sure Miller or uh, or Michael Gallup are, are true first round guys for us, but but it seems like Sutton, Ridley, and then a nice gap, um, and Christian Kirk graded highly for us as well. Okay, all right, yeah. So it seems like you you have you know those two, and then obviously role players in Miller and you know Gallup, and obviously you know just who you mentioned here, and DJ, uh, I, and DJ Moore as well. I mentioned him earlier, but DJ Moore is a guy that. Um, we've had really high grades on all season and, uh, that Indiana game, I want to say was towards the middle part of the year, um, is what really, you know, my, our area scouts talked about that game a lot too. And the big 10 scout we work with, um, Dan Matney, um, really, you know, that was the game we realized DJ Moore is not just going to be a nice mid round guy. If he declares, he's going to be a top two, three round pick. Yeah. You know, a lot of, obviously, you know, uh, you know, the closeness from Cleveland to obviously Maryland. These guys are big fans of DJ Moore. Uh, you know, showed obviously, you know, they see a lot of Big Ten fit, football. Uh, showed very well for Maryland. You know, obviously not the greatest team going, but obviously DJ Moore showed very well. Guys, also follow Locked On Draft. Uh, you know, go ahead subscribe. John Ledyard, Trevor Sakema. These are guys that will probably be down in Mobile bothering Eric. You know, hopefully in that Eric's going to pick up a tab down there. Go ahead, check them out. They do a great job with Locked On Draft. Uh, tight end position. Cleveland doesn't need much. I think they have Najoku. They have DeValve, which is a nice duo. But the problem is, is give me a very good blocking tight end from this draft class. That uh, Telfair, they have, uh, and they use him a lot in that role, and then they try to throw the ball to him when you have Josh Gordon and Corey Coleman, and it's costing them right now. Blocking-wise, Cleveland could use a solid blocking tight end. You got anybody that fits that bill? Uh, they're starting to get harder to find, right? It's hard to find a tight end nowadays. That's gonna it's be- beca- because it's become the basketball transition. Everybody wants the receiver, but nobody thinks about the old traditional, you know, guy that's just, you know, going to block. Right, right. And that's kind of where, where it's going. You look at guys like Dallas Godart um, of San Diego State, Mike Jacecki of Penn State, not blockers at all. That's going to be the negative on their um, on their sheet, which is surprising, right, for, for a tight end. And, 
you know, I think guys even Adam Brenneman at UMass has the body type to be a great blocker, but has struggled with that in college too. And I spoke to Adam before about that. And that's one of the areas that he's got to work on during the draft process because he's he's got the body type to do it. And he's got the, the toughness to do it. But you know, block pass blocking and run blocking as a tight end is a real skill. You know, I'm looking at our list right now, um, our, our database, and there's not a lot of guys that I would say are great run blockers at tight end. That's going to be a big weakness. And I think this class overall doesn't feature. A, to, a great top end tight end. You have Mark Andrews likely being the top tight end. He and Troy from Magali both are capable blockers. I think Andrews can be that for sure. Um, but not a whole lot in terms of blocking. It's going to be hard to find a guy just like that. And that's why um, you know a lot of guys are, are a lot of teams are going to look at tight ends in the, in the number two route um, in free agency. They had the last couple of years. You've seen where a lot of tight ends surprisingly and fullbacks are getting big money because not a lot of tight ends um, have been great blockers. The one guy I guess I can mention is Wake Forest tight end um, Cam Seregne. Um, I'm bad with name pronunciations, but he's a good one. Like I like his play a lot, and I think he's great, especially in space with tight ends. What I would look for all the time as a blocker is is how are they doing in space because more and more tight ends are playing that Y, that H back, and they got to block in space, and he's he's good at that. So I guess if you're hunting for a blocking tight end, he can do that and be a little versatile. Okay, I got two questions for you before we move out of here, Eric. Uh, one, actually, we hit on. I'm sorry, no, we had three, but we hit on one of them already. If Joe Thomas somehow retires, which I think it's a slight thing. I don't think they would have given him $3 million. I don't think Joe would be showing up every week working with Drago, working with Miles Garrett, doing the weather report before the games. It, it, I don't think Joe Joe's going anywhere. But, you know, I understand the possibility. He buys the Carolina Panthers, right? That's what he was talking about on Twitter? Oh, he's I think, dude, he's, he's a fun guy. I, I, keep, I, I tweet him like once every five days trying to get him to come on. Dude, definitely a fun guy. And I think, you know, football he has a lot of fun with. If he were to retire, somebody was cons- uh, asking. Um, I-, I do think one of the two Notre Dame offensive linemen could possibly be a top five pick. I don't think either one of them would be a Cleveland top five pick. No. Right? No, no. Um, no, I, Quentin Nelson is is a really good player, and he's a really from, good offensive guard. And he's From a, my high school. Okay. Um, so I'll watch what I say then. Um, but, uh, but no, he's a, he's a really good player. A lot of teams in the league don't want to take a guard that early. And, I know, I and, know. It's, and it's understandable. I, I you know, the, uh, the 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 Ted Thompson GM tree, coaching tree, they do. They're they're okay with that. They're okay with taking offensive linemen early. Um, the reason why I think a lot of teams don't is not only because guard's not a super valuable position, but it's it drafting an offensive lineman is far more risky than signing one in free agency. And that may sound obvious, but for some positions, it's not right. Some positions. Receiver, for example, is a great one where free agency and the draft are almost equal in terms of what their production could be over the next two years after they sign. Offensive linemen's kind of the other way. If you know an offensive lineman's good, you can tell by the end of their second, third year in the league, and they're that way for the next seven years. That's how offensive linemen generally work in free agency, and that's why I think the Browns, their their last regime now, um, the Sashi Brown, Paul DePodesta regime, they realize that, and they realize, hey. We'll take some mid-run offensive linemen. We'll see if it works out. Safe guys, and then we'll spend free agency on that because getting free agent offensive linemen you know are good is much safer as an investment than other positions. So that's kind of why a couple of reasons why teams don't take guards that early. Um, but I will say the rising value of offensive linemen, talking to some agents around the league, it's been great news for offensive linemen in this draft class. As guard and tackle values go to $10, $12 million a year in free agency, um, now Quentin Nelson is a top-six pick. Doesn't seem like a bad investment. So he'll go someplace in the top 12 picks, but he's not going to go that high. But I don't think you want Mike Malinci in the uh, in the top 10 of this draft. I wouldn't take him in the first round, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I, I do agree with that. And, you know, and you know, Quentin Nelson, who's in a beautiful position. But you look at it, and it's the one positive. 
Cleveland has. And, you know, everybody, we didn't run the ball enough last Sunday. Well, you want to know what? Nobody's going anywhere. That offensive line's still here. Everybody just relax. That's one thing you don't have to address. Does Hugh Jackson like the offensive line? Uh, Hugh Jackson doesn't like anybody. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I, you know, he I, I, he yelled at the guy who made his sandwich this morning, this afternoon for lunch. It's you know, they, they got to move on. They absolutely have to move on. It says Joe Thomas should retire because he's not good enough. Will Cleveland finally kick him out? Is that I, what I don't I don't know what it would take right now. I mean, he, he could, maybe he's got to insult Haslam at this point. I don't know what it takes. It says Jim you know, Brown's overrated. Yeah, that'll do it. There you go. There you go. Maybe re-sign Johnny Manziel. I have no idea to this there point. We go. But. but uh, but and here I'll give you this simple one, Eric. Is should any coach in the history of the NFL be kept after going one in thirty-one after two seasons? Um, you know what? To be to, to play devil's advocate, there are situations where yes. Um, I think sometimes when a roster is really bad, and I'm just speaking outside the Browns right now. There are situations because sometimes a coach can't control it. Sometimes it's a really big rebuild project, and that happens. I think where Hughes really gone wrong here is. One, it seems like his teams really don't want to win in the fourth quarter. And you see that with like the 49ers, how they've gotten better. Even before Garoppolo, that team was always playing well, winning on special teams, not turning the ball over late, not committing penalties, you know, past week 11, 12 that are stupid. Like that's what bad teams who have a lot of like self-pride do. And I think Hugh Jackson has shown that he doesn't have that with his team and they don't trust him. And I really think this whole throwing players on the bus it's going to hurt, and I think John Dorsey's going to realize that. And of course, he's been guilty of it as well, um, which is not helping things. But you know, agents don't like that, and it's not like agents are going to, you know, not go to Cleveland because obviously players aren't going to say no. But this is why Cleveland in the past has had to overspend on mediocre free agents because free agents don't want to go there, and they'd rather, you know, eight million dollars to play in, you know, the, with the Giants than ten million dollars in Cleveland. And that's not how you're gonna win in the NFL. You've got to be able to get guys at good contract values. You gotta get good players in there in the free agency. We've seen the Jacksonville Jaguars use their cap space effectively and become a, a possible Super Bowl contender. The Browns can do that, but the way they're building the relationship right now with agents, it's it's tough. Well and that's even the thing is because when you talk about having the second youngest roster in the NFL and you know once, twice a week, you know, Hughes throwing somebody under the bus and, you know, Hugh has his mouthpiece in Mike Silver. Duke Johnson had to be Deshaun Kaiser's mouthpiece this week and say, look, we got to be there for him. It, it's been really tough for him. It, it's it, it's just bad. It, I, I, you know, I, I hope somehow, some way, if they do hit 0-16, John Dorsey on New Year's Eve gets to sit with Jimmy Haslam and say, you can't keep – it's not going to change if you keep – you know, it's just it's just a terrible situation. But one more question uh, for you, Eric, and actually then I've got one after that. Um, who are the best run-defending safeties in this draft class? Run-defending safeties. That is awfully specific. Um, Bill Carroll. Bill Carroll? Okay. You uh, know Bill's going to be specific. Yeah, run-defending safeties. Um, let me pull up our, our notes here, top of my head. I do like um, I do like Kaiser White a lot. Um, 6'3", 215. Uh, I think he comes up and plays with great physicality um, upfield. I think he's really impressive there. He's a guy I like a lot, probably a second-round pick. Um, you know, I think this time to actually mention a guy who's, who's kind of off the radar, actually not at an all-star game, which is very surprising, but a really good run defender um, and a long athletic guy. He's got a lot of NFL fans. He's probably not an all-star game. It's Terrell Williams from Houston. Um, he's 6'2", 210. He's going to go someplace – 
early day three, uh, but he's a really strong run defender. He plays really well away from his frame. He's a guy I like a lot. So I, I think Kaiser White's a guy come to mind as a senior. Um, that's a great run defender. I think he's going to be, you know, play multiple roles in a defense. He can play strong. He can play some free. He can play cover two. He can do whatever. Um, he's a really good athlete. I like him quite a bit. He's got a second round grade from us. But Terrell Williams is a guy that I've I've watched a lot. Um, I've talked to teams about a lot, and he's kind of a underappreciated guy right now in the in the All Star game world. Okay, and one more for me. Uh, you know, we mentioned Calvin Ridley earlier. Um, for the Optimus Optimus scouting team. Uh, you know, obviously Calvin Ridley will turn 24 years old during his rookie season. Right. How does that weigh into the grading system at Optimal Scouting? Yeah, great question. Um, to be honest, not much. Um, I I know it's out there, and I think for positions, really only quarterback comes to mind in, in terms of the whole the whole draft class that it has an impact on um, because. You know, quarterbacks generally they're going to peak at you know different ages, and you want to get those guys earlier. So when they peak, it's not you know they're not downsloping immediately afterwards. Um, but you know, I I know there's some historical trends about age. It's a factor. We know the age of these players. We we can appreciate what's going on. But you know, I've just seen a lot of guys that are different ages that peak at different times. And sometimes I know they say 24 as a receiver, for example. You know, he might take four years to peak. Sometimes it takes him two years. You know, Calvin Ridley might be one of the best years in football by 26. And as a team, are you going to be mad at yourself that you didn't take that guy earlier? So I think age comes up when you are, if there's it come up a tiebreaker quality, which we call it, if the guy's tied with somebody else, is age going to help? That'll sway things a little bit, but it's not going to be a defining characteristic. And there are a handful of tiebreaker things that NFL teams use too. Hey, these two guys are the same grade. What's different? One's younger, one's older. We'll take the younger guy. Like that happens sometimes, not in that same way. It's a little, little more drawn out than that, but um, that's kind of how it comes up for us. So I know some people, including NFL teams, you know, the Seahawks and Rob and Josh Schneider, they do this a lot where they focus on age and that's great. And I respect them what they do for our process though. I haven't seen it worthy enough of our time to put a big influence on. And sometimes I've seen it, you know, burn, burn the other way. You know, sometimes you say a 20 year old guy, he's going to be great. And by 23, he's out of the league. So, so I've, I skew the fact that it doesn't matter too much, but we certainly know it for sure. I think a lot of it has to do with some people view, like, you know, some people, and, you know, maybe it's a fan thing, oh, you know, what's he going to be here for t- 10 years? I mean, there's so many variables with injuries and things of that nature and production. Is he ever going to meet the cost of what a second contract should be? You know, any player you're taking, you're going to view him on the first contract he signs. And then, you know, obviously there's, you know, 365 days times three times four times five times six times seven with franchise tags that you play out from there. Right. So, I mean, if you think the guy is good enough at the time and he's going to fit the contract that you were going to give him, you just go ahead and take the player. That's There's just no other way around it. And I think age in this for Ridley won't be an issue this year because I don't think there's enough competition that's going to hurt him. Is that fair to say? Yeah, no, it won't, it won't affect him in terms of a draft grade. He's not going to go, you know, he's not going to fall in the third round. I mean, he's, he's always going to be in that, you know, 10 to 25 range, depending on where the receivers go and how they view about him. And he's probably going to go someplace in the mid to late first round. It's not a strong receiver class. I don't think he or Cortland Sutton, either of them are going to end up going in the top seven, eight picks. Like we had three guys go last year, but, um, but no, he, he'll be just fine. He's a great player. He's not far off. I've been a fan of his game since his freshman year. I think a lot of NFL teams have been, um, and he's going to be just fine. He's going to be a good player. And, and you're right, you know, ages, it, it shouldn't, if it's defining how you think of a guy, then you're doing this thing wrong. And, and, you know, I guess I'll end on that, Jeff. Sometimes I, I think we go too deep in the weeds on some aspects of a football player, and NFL teams and coaches have had a lot of success historically over the year by doing the homework but taking a step back and saying, all right, 
who is this guy? Do we want him? And sometimes getting about the draft process gets a lot easier that way. Yeah, and I think a little bit what hurt really is it, you know, his footwork is fantastic. I'm a former college wide receiver. I love the way he runs routes. I love the fact that as soon as his head turns, his hands are in triangle position at his belly button. He's ready for the ball high, away, you know, either side, low. He, he does everything right. I think, you know, some people who are going to get caught up in his production, you kind of got to look at the quarterback aspect and the offense that, you know, Nick Saban's running down there. His defense is so fantastic. He doesn't need to do what everybody else is doing in college and drop 50, 60 a week, even though they could because that's the talent they have there. That's just not the way, you know, Nick Saban, who's an older guy, he's not one of these younger guys who's looking to do that. He's looking at the bottom line, and the bottom line is W's every week. So, you know, with Calvin Ridley, I don't think it's going to affect him this year. And he, I do like him. I do like him a little better than Sutton. I hope Cortland Sutton goes to Mobile. Uh, the AAC conference does concern me a tiny bit, so I'd like to see him go down there, you know, and and play, you know, more to the skill level that he is. Are the Browns looking for receivers this year? Listen to me. You have Josh Gordon, yeah, who is the ultimate risk in the world. You have Corey Coleman now, who's already served in two years has served. Uh, I mean, that served has missed you know stretches of six to seven games with injuries. If this pattern repeats itself. You're back to Bryce Treggs. You're back to Cason Williams. You're back to Ricardo Lewis. You are back to Rashard Higgins. And these guys aren't doing a darn thing. It's, could some of it be because of the quarterback play? It certainly could be. But you are, you know, look, Josh Gordon is, you know, one light of a joint away. Corey Coleman is a little fragile. And th- now you're out there. And now if you do improve the position and you bring in a veteran quarterback and you draft a Josh Rosen at one and you have Deshaun Kaiser you're still playing with Jags at the wide receiver position. So, Jeff, I guess on that point, too, you mentioned the quarterbacks. I'll ask you a question. I know it's your podcast, but I'm curious what the Browns fans think of this stuff, if you don't mind. Um, Go ahead. You're, you're probably not going to want to sign uh, Alex Smith and no. Josh Rosen. So you would you would pick Josh Rosen and just move on from Deshaun Kaiser as opposed to Alex Smith and Deshaun Kaiser? I would bring in a Chase Daniel who has familiar uh, – you know, obviously familiar with Dorsey – you know, who's going to serve, you know, and this team didn't, you know, he didn't need an offensive coordinator, didn't want to subject him to this, apparently was his words. So you sign a Josh Daniel who's going to serve and help these young guys. And, you know, look, you know, I was a Deshaun Kaiser fan. The play this year has been bad. The turnovers are bad. You cannot do it as a quarterback. The the throw to lose the game versus Green Bay, you know, mind-boggling. You yell at a high school freshman for doing it. You know, the arm, the size, he doesn't have the processing speed. I get that. But, you know, get as much in the room as he can, possible guys. You know, but Alex Smith, you know, and then you bring in the weather here, in, weather in Cleveland. Alex Smith, you know, even if he was brought here, so the first five weeks maybe you play him, but then it's time for the kids and where are you at? Um, I, you need somebody who's going to teach some of these guys how to get through the NFL. You know, Chase Daniel, obviously now on his third stop, you know, you know, it would be his four stop here in Cleveland. I, th- I think you go that route, and you know, hey, if they both pan out, that's fantastic. But you hope one of them pans out. No? Yeah, I don't know. I like Alex Smith, and I think the Browns are a bit further away than Josh Rosen. But I think uh, I think I think ownership's going to pick Josh Rosen in this case. Um, I don't think it's going to be a question. So I don't think they would have given John Dorsey the job. And as respected and as great as he is. It's going to be hard for John Dorsey to sell the ownership on, oh, we can have Josh Rosen, we'll pass again on our quarterback. So I think you're getting Josh Rosen no matter what. Or 
if he surprisingly comes out or Sam Darnold. But um, you know, I think I think he's uh, he's going to be your quarterback. But you know, that you're not going to have Rosen and Kaiser and Alex Smith. It's going to be maybe Chase Daniel, maybe overpay for for Case Keenum for two years. But um, I'm not sure if Chase Daniel's going to be the answer. I think uh, I think Case Keenum might be the answer for for John Dorsey. But we'll see. Okay, that's interesting. Um, look, either way, I mean, look, if you draft Josh Rosen at one, and, and look, when quarterbacks are drafted at one, it's awfully, awfully hard to sit him. I mean, you look at the Carson Wentz situation, you know, they drafted him. We're going to, he's not playing at all. And then all of a sudden, and he got hurt in the preseason. I mean, they scrapped the entire plan and they handed the ball to the kid because they felt it was the time. You know, a lot will have to do how they do with the 12 other picks. Can they get free agents to commit? They've got all this money. Do they not have to grossly overpay to bring some of these guys in you know we're looking at a potential decent wide receiver class and that was another thing I, I would rather if I can get a wide receiver here in free agency I'd rather do that than through the draft because you know I've got a proven commodity like you said you know the way they handled the offensive line if Josh Gordon slips up and is gone forever and Corey Coleman's gone forever now I'm looking at you know a wide receiver I drafted who said look you could be a nice part of this you know we're improving our skill overall and now, look, bro, I need you to catch 90 balls. I'd rather to do that to somebody who's shown me in the NFL that they have those capabilities as opposed to putting it all on a rookie. That's fair. That's fair. I think, uh, you know, one thing that Sasha Bradley, more so Paul DePodesta, realized, that's why I was actually a big fan of what they were doing, um, was that you can get mad about it, but they were doing things according to historical trends in the position and, and meaning that, like, Again, I said earlier, offensive linemen, generally, it's much safer and a better investment to spend free agent dollars than draft picks on them. And they actually got a year early because the O-line market's going to explode for Angel the next – it kind of did last year. It's going to keep exploding the next couple of years. So they got ahead of the game there. And then you spend a lot of draft picks on receivers because it's the same risk tolerance receivers and free agency in the draft. So um, they, did a lot, they did a lot of good things, a lot of good uh, moves in place. And I think a lot of teams quietly – analytically took notes on what the Browns were doing, which is funny to say, but a lot of teams took notes on, on some of the trends they were taking advantage of. And I think uh, Sashi Brown, and more importantly, Paul DePodesta's legacy is not going to be for nothing. And, you know, I did compare Sashi Brown to uh, um, the, the Sam Hinkie for the Philadelphia 76ers, and then I think this Browns is going to be just fine in a couple years when we look at Sashi Brown's job as a really good job well done. Yeah, the biggest thing, and what it seems from the fan base is, it wasn't so much that Sashi was fired. It just seems that within the next 10 days to two weeks, it was, well, Hugh's not going anywhere. I mean, the Cleveland fan base, they're used to the turnover. God, they are certainly used to it. But it was like, all right, well, Sashi's that way. But he, whoa, 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 hold on. Hugh's staying? You know, they would have been fine if, you know, house was cleaned again. And all, apparently Jimmy has them. Well, you know, doesn't. Now all of a sudden he's concerned about the, having a reputation of consistently cleaning house. But it was like, well, everybody, you know, it seems almost, you know, 90% that, like, well, then you fired the wrong guy. Because, you know, I look at what the, what's been done on the defensive side of the ball. The offensive line is good. Their defensive line, when healthy and has every guy, is a solid, solid group, this defensive line. I forget who put it up the other day, you know, about what they've done, you know, defending the run. And they're, like, I think it was seventh or eighth, you know, over, the, like, the last 10 years. And you look at the teams who've put up, you know, this – you know, yards, you know, rushing yards against. You're talking Super Bowl winners, you know, AFC, NFC championship game, you know, these teams. And then here's Cleveland at 0-14, and it is the oddest look in a statistical breakdown of, you know, teams versus stopping the run. 
but Cleveland was right there at like seven or eight. It's crazy. Right, right. I think we're going to look back and, and appreciate what they what they did. And, hey, the Browns, since we moved back to Cleveland, they've only had one GM last more than three draft classes, and that was Phil Savage who got four. Um, it's tough. It's tough to do that as a franchise, to have more than three draft classes. And, you know, I'm a believer, and I, I talked to a lot of people in the league about this too. College head coaches and NFL GMs, no matter how bad they're doing or how good they're doing, they've got to get five years or else you're selling them short. Understood. Understood. Guys, Locked On Browns, episode 137, Eric Alco. Uh, guys, follow Eric. Follow the Optimum Scouting team. Uh, you know, a bunch of my friends over there. I know the work they put in. These guys tie, you know, work hard, uh, relentless effort. And, you know, you want to know about a, you know, up-and-coming safety in the Sunbelt Conference. These guys are ahead of the game. That's the effort they're putting in. Eric, thanks so much for your time. Happy holidays, my man. Appreciate it, Jeff. You too. We'll see you in a few weeks at the Senior Bowl. Uh, you, you got somebody to watch the kids for me? You got somebody to watch the kids for me? I'll do my best. All right. Eric Alco, Optimus Scouting, Babysitting <laughs> Service. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll find a couple days in Mobile. Eric, That's thanks good. so much for your time. Guys, Locked On Browns, Episode 137. Thank you so much for the support. Go Browns.